Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast. My name is Eden and this is Brutal Crimes. Today I'm actually going to be talking about one of the most requested cases that I've had. Um, it's about the murder of Shanann, Bella, Celeste, and Nico Watts, technically known as the Chris Watts case, because um, apparently everybody in this universe thinks that Chris Watts is the only main focus of the case. Anyways, um, this one was kind of like a frustrating case for me to want to talk about. I wasn't necessarily wanting to do this case to begin with, um, just because it it kind of pisses me off because I've got children that are the same age as Bella and Celeste, and I have a small son. So it just kind of hit a little home for me, and I'm as I'm sure it did a whole lot of other people. But one of the main reasons why I didn't, you know, necessarily want to jump on this case immediately is because it's so hyped up right now. People, I get that people want to keep talking about it, but it's not that that that's the problem. I think everybody should keep talking about the case because I don't think it's solved completely. I think that the police missed um, quite a few certain details, and um, I truly believe with the, without a shadow of a doubt that this case is far from actually being closed. Um, but it's the simple fact that the um, publicity that Chris Watts is getting, um, as it does, it's kind of gross if you think about it. He basically murdered his entire family and. There are so many people out there that are, like, obsessed with him. They're sexually attracted to him. They send him letters in prison. They, um, it's, it's just gross, you know? It's just like he's has, he has his own little fan base, and it, it just grosses me out. So, but other than that, I'm just going to get right into it. So, um, the Watts family murders occurred on the early morning of August 13th, 2018, in Frederick, Colorado, U.S., which is actually 18 minutes away from where I live. While being interviewed by police, Christopher Lee Watts admitted to killing his pregnant wife, Shanann Catherine Watts and, or yeah, Shanann Watts um, and their two daughters, four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste. He basically disposed of their bodies in oil tanks and then he buried his wife in a shallow grave at his work site. He pleaded guilty on November 6, in 2018, to multiple counts of first-degree murder as a plea deal. When the death penalty was removed from sentencing, he was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole, three to be served consecutively, and two to be served concurrently. So, when this case started, it was a missing persons case. That's how this started. Um, so, a little backstory. Shanann was about 15 weeks pregnant. She's also a Thrive consultant for Lavelle, and that is a multi-level marketing company that is hands down the best when it comes to healthy supplements. Um, they're, they're notorious for the um, Thrive patch, which is a multivitamin patch that you stick on your skin and it's, it lasts for 24 hours and you just find a new, when the new day comes, you rip that patch off and then you put another one on. Um, and it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. I actually have a couple of family members who are thrivers. Um, but she was very successful in her business and she had a great following, um, a great social life. Her 
entire family looked basically picture perfect. If you go to YouTube and you type in Shanann Watts Thrive, you see all of her videos. All of her videos are still up with her doing her live videos. Um, one of them that I saw was her and Chris. They were trying out the new peppermint flavor, which I thought was really neat. Um, she just all around seems like an incredibly loving woman, and she's dedicated to her children. Um, so automatically you're, you, you, you have like an inside look there. She's a well-known and loved person, not just by her family and friends, but by her thrive company that she was a part of. She had tons and tons of, um, connections and people that looked up to her. She was a mentor and, you know, she's just all around a very loving, wonderful person. And Chris kind of came off as the doting father, the, the hard worker, the one who, you know, dedicated his life to his family. I mean, they just basically looked like a picture-perfect family from the outside. But as always, things are not always as they seem because you don't know what's happening on the inside. So, Shanann had gotten home at, I believe it was like 1 a.m., and um, she her friend had dropped her off, and that was the last time anybody had seen her alive, supposedly. Um, so the next morning, Shanann's friend kept texting her and texting her and texting her. She's like, I don't know what's going on here. Why is she not texting me back? She knew that her, um, she knew that Shanann had a doctor's appointment that day and she had not been feeling good over the weekend when they were on their incentive trip for Lavelle and she had offered to take her to the doctor, but Shanann was not responding to her phone. She was 15 weeks pregnant. So her friend got kind of concerned and her, and I believe it was her son. I, I cannot say that com like with confidence. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they went over to her house, um, to do a welfare check when they knocked on the door. She didn't answer. Her friend looked in the windows, noticed that her purse was still there. Her shoes were still there. You know, the, the things that she normally would have are there. Um, she also had a code to get into the garage, but it was disabled and the lock was on the door. So she couldn't get in and out of the garage, even though she knew the code. So she called the police and, you know, the police kind of walked around the house, knocked on the door. They got in touch with Chris and then Chris shows up because he was at work and Chris shows up. And the first thing that, <laughs> Oh, this, this part bugged me a lot. Um, so when the police showed up, and after Chris had gotten there, he opened the garage door. He went straight to Shanann's car, opened up the front seat, and ducked down and looked on the floorboard. And they're like, "What? The, well, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I was just checking to see if they were in here. And it's like, buddy, you're looking at the floorboard. What are they, midgets? Like, are they, are they teeny tiny little, you know, brownies or something? Like, are they tiny fairies? How in the hell would they be on the floorboard of your car? Um... So that just, that was the number one thing that bothered me. Um, and then they go into the house and he lets them in and, you know, everything is fine. Everything's fine. Then when you're walking around with them, with the police footage, the camera, you're noticing that Chris is not necessarily like frantic. He's looking at his phone a lot and he's wondering certain things. He's like, well, I guess I could get in my truck and go drive around and see if I can find her. And they're like, well, what if she's at the pool? And he goes, well, she could probably be at the pool. 
do you want me to go check to see if she's at the pool? And he's like, well, yeah, we might want to see if she's there. And he's like, all right, yeah, I'll go check to see. But he never goes. He never goes to the pool. He never leaves his house. If if I was, you know, some, my family was missing, I would go to every single place possible that I thought they would be. And I would go search. Um, so then they discover Shanann's phone on the staircase part. It's like a flat wooden surface and her phone was there and her phone was turned off. So she would never have left the house without her phone. And even Chris says right there in front of the officer that it was her lifeline. She wouldn't leave the house without it, period. No questions asked. That was her lifeline. She needed that phone. So there wasn't anything like suspicious going on at that particular point, but the police officer, they, he, he, he did a couple of tactics. It's like, um, police officers do these certain kinds of tests. They, they conduct these psychological tests to kind of like distinguish what they're dealing with, how they're dealing with it or what's going on. Something's not seeming right. And Chris failed every single one of them. So there is part of the video where the officer is talking into his microphone or into his um, walkie-talkie <laughs> and Chris turns around and he's like wide-eyed. He's basically looking at the officer like, am I going to jail? You know, that was the look he gave him, which that was the number one test that he failed. Number two, the sheets on the bed were completely stripped. Completely. Like, they were gone. He mentioned that the girls' blankets were gone, um, that they would never leave the house without their blankets, and um, they were walking around the house, and then he was talking in the closet, and he was explaining to the officer, and he's like, all of our friends, people that I know, nobody has seen her. Nobody's heard of her. Nobody's heard for where she was from. So then they were in the house, and somebody had yelled up the stairs, and they were like, hey, you're your neighbor has security footage and he says that he sees the only people that left the house were you. You were the only person that left the house. So the officer and Chris went next door to the neighbor's house to watch the security footage. And that is where things kind of take a little turn and you're kind of looking at Chris in a different light. He becomes increasingly disturbed looking. He's nervous. He's got his hands on the back of his head. He's kind of shaking back and forth. He's like, moving his hips side to side. He's holding his arms like as if he's self-soothing himself. He's looking at his phone. He's really, really jittery. Um, and they're watching the security footage and you see Chris's truck backing out and backing into the garage and then him putting stuff in and out of the garage. And he's like... Oh, and then something popped up on the TV of a baby, and he goes, oh, she's 15 weeks pregnant. You know, like, as if that was something that he thought that the officer didn't already know, which was information that was unnecessary information. It was just one of those things to kind of throw off the officer to get him to think about anything other than the security footage. So after Chris had left the house, um, the neighbor had told the officer he was like he's not acting strange at all he he's acting completely out of the ordinary this is not how he normally acts he's he's something's wrong like he's acting like he's trying to cover his tracks and then you've got the media so when the media starts coming in chris goes on 
TV a couple of times and he's like, I came home and it was like a ghost town. I have no inclination of where they are. I just want my family home. If somebody knows something, I just, I just want them safe. I want them home. I want them back and I want them back now. Like I have no idea where they are. I, I don't know anything about this. Like he kept elaborating that and he was also self soothing, soothing himself on the, um, on the air. Then he kind of basically outed himself in one of the interviews that he was doing when he was talking about his kids. He actually started talking about them in past tense. He didn't say, well, Celeste is a cute, you know, a cute little four-year-old. Bella is a cute little two-year-old. And, you know, they're, he said Bella was sweet. She was kind. Like he was talking about them as if they were already dead, which was a key factor. Um, but he still claims that he had no idea where they were. So when he gets taken to jail, not, not necessarily jail, but the interrogation room when the police were interrogating him, it's very strenuous. It, you can't necessarily sit through every single hour of the interrogation process because they do everything. Um, lie detector test, they do, um, cross, cross examination, you know, all of this, like they do all of this in this interrogation room. And Chris basically just makes himself look horrible. Um, the more he talks, the more guilty he looks and the more the police are onto him. So what they did not disclose to Chris was that, um, they had already known about the affair he had been having with a woman named Nicole and they didn't say, they didn't bring it up. They were waiting for Chris to come to them, but they did this tactic. It's like, it, it was probably one of the best reverse psychology, you know, tactics I've ever seen, how they did this and how they got him to confess was unreal. So they did this lie detector test and he passed several questions, but he failed when he was asked, do you know what happened to your children? Do you know where your wife is? Um, do you, like he, they, the questions about his family, he all, he failed every single one of them, but they didn't bring that up. They said, you were being dishonest with us about some things and we're going to have to talk about him. And so Chris was getting utterly uncomfortable and they're like, the officer was like, all right, listen, Chris, we know you've got something to say. We, we see it in your face. We know you want to say it. We can see it coming right out. You know, there's something you got to tell us. Like they were, you know, you're, you just need to get it out. I know that's what you're wanting to do because you don't want to keep this in any longer. You just, you need to open up and you need to talk to us because we want to help you. Well, he then said, I had an affair. I had an affair. I cheated on her. I'm not proud of it, but that was what I was holding back. And, you know, they're like, well, we already knew that you had an affair. She came forward and explained this. Well, <laughs> then they were like, but this is not what you were holding back. And he goes, no, I swear, I don't know where my children are. And they're like, you know where your kids are. And then um, he was like, no, the only thing I was holding back was about the affair. I That's all I was holding back. I love my family. I'd never do anything to my family. And the officer was like, you know, you're a good father. You're the kind of father that would pack their school lunches. You're a good dad. There's no doubt in my mind that you're a good dad. But what happened? You know something happened to your children. You need to tell us what's going on. So then he wants to talk to his dad. 
And then his dad comes in and he starts getting really upset. So then he tells his dad that Shanann had smothered the girls and that he got so enraged with her that he ended up killing her. And then he didn't know what else to do. So he, he basically confessed that the kids were dead. And then he, all of this kind of blew wide out in the open. He said that they were in the oil wells. Shanann was in a grave and he told them everything. So all of this had happened because the officers knew what they were doing. They knew how suspicious he looked. They had the driveway footage. They had the security footage. They had his testimony. They had his lie detector test. They had everything. And they also had phone records. They had pictures in a app that he downloaded that looked like a calculator, which is honestly, in my opinion, the worst thing you could possibly do is download an app that looks like a calculator just so you can cheat on your wife. Like, honestly, that's just horrible. Any person who does that to a human is despicable because it's not deserved. So uh, his story changed quite a bit, right? So throughout the trial, you know, he he claims what he did was because Shanann had smothered the kids and it pissed him off and it upset him and it hurt him, so he ended up killing her too. But then later on, in a detailed confession, he stated that, no, I killed Shanann in the house, and then I took the girls to with me. They were alive, and I suffocated them in the truck, and then I put them in the oil wells. Which, honestly, it really hurt my soul to have to listen to that interrogation um, and that confession, because it, it broke my heart, like how you could possibly look at your own child and see them struggling to breathe and just continue to do this not once but twice and also knowing that your wife is pregnant with your son that's just horrible um he's a sociopath he's a narcissist he's an incredibly horrible person for doing this and not just that but cheating on your wife as well that's just terrible so <clears throat> he had said this in a confession but then later on down the road, he confessed that he tried killing them in the house first. He said that he had smothered them while they were their bed, in their beds, but they woke up. And it was clear that, you know, they, they looked like they had been through something because their faces were purple and bruised, but they were, still, they were still awake and still alive. So he changed his story three different times. Now... Once this case finally came to an end, the media just basically kind of blew up after that. So now you have all these YouTubers and they're doing their own um, detailed descriptions of this murder. They're, you know, dissecting piece by piece by piece evidence. They're listening to interrogation tapes. They're talking about the evidence. They're speaking their own opinions, their own minds. And then, um, and then it kind of boils down to the girlfriend. So in her interview... She's being asked about what's going on, and she said, oh, you know, I just thought he's like a dad, you know, that's so cute, he's got little girls, I mean, I wasn't aware, you know, I thought he had told me that they were getting a divorce, and, you know, things weren't working out, so I didn't know that they, you know, were still to, you know, being, they were still together together, I didn't really know, which was also a lie, because she already, she knew all about it, she wasn't dragged into anything, um, and the reason why I say that is because she claims that she has nothing to do with the murders. She was not there when these murders were committed. But because you have these 
crime vigilantes that dissect every piece of footage and listen to every audio recording, it is only a matter of time before somebody finds something that somebody else missed. So in the security in the security footage of that night, it's pretty swift. You don't really see much, but you clearly see somebody walking out of the garage, get into a red car, and back out. And then you see them drive off, and then a truck pulling in, and then backing out. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty positive that wasn't Shanann and it wasn't Chris. So, yeah. Also, if you really study the footage, really study it. Like, I'm talking slowing the footage down, like, immensely. And watching with every single pixel that you can... You can clearly see within the shadows two small children walking up into the truck. You can see him, you can see the shadow, Chris picking up one of the girls and putting them into the truck. You clearly see the dome light go on, you see it go off, and then you see something obstructing the light inside the vehicle, which basically shows that there was somebody in there, there were two people still in the truck that were alive which they believe to be Bella and Celeste. Now, nobody says anything about the woman leaving the garage. However, I don't see why. Because Nicole said she was not there that night. But you clearly see somebody walking out of the garage that was not Shanann. It wasn't her, period. And she didn't drive a red car. And um, in the interview, she's talking about how pissed off she is. She's like, how could you do something to someone that's who's that small? You know, that was a big red flag for me because she immediately got really upset after that. Um, a lot of people are speculating that because she is, a, she's a member of a prestigious family called the Freemasons that they are protecting her and that she's basically untouchable, which really pisses me off because if you have something to do with somebody else's death or if you were there and you know what happened, you're not only obstructing evidence, but you're also obstructing justice. You're standing in the way of a proper and you know, you're using power to cover up something that you did. So these people an analyzed Nicole's walking into the interrogation room, and then they analyzed her, the person who walked out of the garage. Their gait was the exact same. Their stra you know, the way that they looked, they had long brown hair, supposedly. And, and it was just like, right there, you know, it was her. It had to be her. It couldn't have been anybody else, because it wasn't Shanann. The last known footage of Shanann was seen as she was walking into her house after her friend dropped her off. And so they say, well, there was no evidence of her, uh, of Nicole going into the house that day. Well, how did we know she was even in the house? How can we say it was her? So during the police search of the house, the officer takes you around back. There's no cameras around back. There's no cameras in the backyard it's just by the front door, and then you've got the neighbor's security footage as well. 
but when you're walking to the side of the house, you have these two open, you have these two large sections where it's like a, like a storm drain, basically, that has two large windows and they lead to the basement, which they can be opened and you can easily access the inside of the house. Chris was crashing in the basement, so he could have easily snuck her in the house through the basement window because there was a stepping thing down by the there was like a box that you could easily step on and step off to get in, in and out unseen completely now my theory about this is that chris was in the basement nicole was in the basement she came home and shanann came home and i'm guessing found her there and there was a big fight, and this is kind of what happened after that. So that's my opinion. There is no factual evidence to support that. There is no documentation stating that that is a fact, period. That is just my own personal opinion. I feel like that is what happened. Because I don't see how any person could just look at their family and kill them. I think that she came home, saw them together, they got into a huge fight, and Chris snapped. And then he killed her. And Nicole didn't know what else to do but leave. And then Chris freaked out and didn't know what else to do. So he decides to cover up his crime instead of taking the fall and saying, you know what? Yeah, I killed my wife. Instead, he had to kill his children as well. Which, And then he tried pinning it on Shanann. So that's my opinion. That's my theory. I really wish that the law enforcement and the people in charge of this case would, you know, do some more digging and make sure that everybody who took part in this pays for this because these two little children died in like the most horrible way you could possibly imagine if you think about it by their own father. And then an innocent woman and her baby died as well. And this is just horrible. You know, she was a, a good person. She was sweet. She was kind. You know, she was very dedicated to her work, her family, you know, everybody. And her life was lost over something that should have never been a reason for, period. So now Chris is in, now Chris is in prison. And, you know, of course he's eating up the media attention he's getting. So they're making a freaking Lifetime movie out of it which I feel is disgusting, in my opinion, because why in the hell would you make something like this into a Lifetime movie that's profitable? There, I mean, I guess I can understand in a sense why some people do this, because Gypsy Rose, she, uh, she threw a fit you know, when they made the documentary, The Act, because it was an inside look to her life that she was not allowed to have any insight on or allowed to say anything about. They just basically looked at the evidence, looked at the situation, listened to audio recordings and evidence, and then they made their own media front of frenzy out of it. And that's what they're doing with Chris Watts. So these people are having to relive watching this man murder their family all over again. And this time they actually have a visual of what's going on. And to me, I'm going to watch the documentary series, um, the Lifetime video. I'm going to watch it. I just don't know what I'm going to think when I watch it. I just know I'm going to watch it. 
So anyways, that's going to conclude this podcast for the brutal crime segment, and that is going to end it. Thank you for listening, and I will...